0: Hello and welcome to TOPS 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. TOPS 10 seeks out professional and influential people in politics and government and many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple, we ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer engineer and I'm David Prometer, a professor at and dean of the college and an originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today I have with me one of my fellow deans, Lance Nail, PhD, CFA, certified financial advisor. Analyst. Analyst. Is that higher than the advisor? Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. So is it like being a car mechanic that, that any time at a party or something you mention you're a CFA, people say, so so where should I put my retirement money? They they ask for free advice?
1: Either that or they run the other way. Oh,
0: okay. So your free advice, just because the listeners, you know, they paid their whole zero cents to, to listen. What, Kodak stock, you know?
1: Kodak, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a good one. Yeah, It's low now, so yeah. buy we, low,
0: sell high, right?
1: You can get Kodak and an Etzel to go with it. It's uh, good.
0: That's right. The students are going, what? You know, I never heard of that. i got to look
1: up the symbol. Or something.
0: Uh, Lance Nail is a professor of finance and dean at the Jerry S. Rawls College of Business Administration. He was appointed in August 15, 2012. Nail's research... Interests include mergers and acquisitions, corporate governance, and insider trading. He has published more than fifty articles or columns and made more than a hundred presentations at numerous events. Additionally, Nail has served as the editor of a book, on *International Corporate Finance*, and is the managing editor of the journal *International Review of Financial Analysis*, which, I, as I understand, is a Tom Cruise movie coming out this summer. You know, That's right. It's going to be the roller coaster ride of the summer, probably. A- absolutely. Yeah. Do you do you, do you find what you write to be difficult for for most people to understand, because I think there's I've seen these national surveys that basically people don't understand their own finances, let alone the finances of the country.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm in a sort of a specialized field in mergers and acquisitions, so I'm not really doing the financial planning, financial analysis stuff that, that you would do in the real world. But, um, you know, we have so much jargon that we use between the financial side and between being social scientists. You do have to break it down into pieces that the average person can understand.
0: Do you, do you think that's a problem nationally that, you know, we, we hear this indicator or the Federal Reserve Bank has had to do this, and essentially it's science fiction gobbledygook to most... Most folks, including me, sometimes I hear there's an indicator, and unemployment rate has always been fascinating to me because it's the number of people who have not given up looking for a job. Correct. For some reason, they they don't include the people who have given up looking for a job. Right. So it's not really the unemployment rate. It's it's part of the
1: unemployment rate, right? Right. And that was a big part of the if you look at the Great Recession and when people were talking about that and the employment numbers. A lot of people just gave up looking and all of a sudden employment doesn't look unemployment doesn't look as bad as it really is. So you had to look at the roles of the unemployed and, and gains in employment to get a real test. And you know, a lot of these measures that we use were created decades ago when it was a much simpler economy and we really haven't adjusted those metrics and You know, financial literacy is an important thing. It's not just corporate finance in our area, but personal financial literacy. And uh, I would encourage everybody just to understand a little bit more of what this is so it isn't that science fiction gobbledygook. And mergers
0: and acquisitions is is somewhat in that realm. I mean, I guess it's also interesting to me that some companies have merged, and it seemed like a good idea, like a marriage. It, it doesn't work out. It seemed like a good idea at the time, and they're never able to actually effectively merge. They become the worse. The sum is the worst of the two parts. And sometimes then a merger happens, and it, it's very successful. Are there measures and indicators that give some sign of whether it's a good idea to merge or not?
1: Well, there are certain things that you look at that, that – tend to be predictors of success or failure. I mean overall you're right only about one in three mergers actually generates uh, net wealth gains for the acquiring firm so two-thirds of mergers actually fail so that's the big question is why do we have mergers? A lot and all of- those CFAs <laughs> are
0: working hard on, on stipend to uh, consulting to help out on that.
1: Uh, exactly.
0: Do, do you think that people say like you know this isn't going to work? I mean you're not going to do well, and and the the company just goes ahead and does it anyway, just to be bigger.
1: A lot of times it's it's the size. Um, there's a lot of research that actually ties managerial compensation to the size of the firm. So you have an incentive to merge two firms together because you have a larger size and the ceo the managerial team is going to make more money even though it may not make sense for the merger to take place for the shareholders so that's a lot of the research that we're talking about right now is are you merging for good reasons or are you merging to enhance your compensation package
0: now since the ceo is the one approving of the payment to the <laughs> analysts i guess i guess you really have to have integrity to tell the truth because that's what you're, you're paid to tell the truth but the truth is not always welcome. right?
1: It's true and, and that's the reason why you should have an active board of directors and, and you, your board of directors should be very independent from the managerial team and that's one of the things that we also study here. The United States is much more, I don't want to say incestuous, but it's much more intertwined than you see in a lot of the other countries around the world and that's a lot of the research is, is that good for the economy, is that good for corporate America.
0: Now, I guess people don't associate necessarily music. There's, there, there's been a couple of good songs about money. Give Me Money, That's What I Want, The Beatles. Mm-hmm. But usually, uh, I think Mon- Monty Python had a great song about uh, you know the, the cold antiseptic sting of the Deutschmark. But usually, money and songs, it's usually about your money is gone or lost. There's not, there's not too many investor profit songs, like I Just Made a Killin'. You know, I've never heard that as a country song.
1: I like Billy Joel's Easy Money. I'll go with that one, okay?
0: But there's no, like, you know, national CFA anthem, you know, you sing at your conferences or something.
1: No, but maybe we could do this in a secret handshake. By the end of it, we could create a song. That would be good. Good, good. Now, let's say, in this
0: show, we ask you about uh, music that means a lot to you, and, and often people... Like myself, grew up with music from their parents. There's an influence, and then at some point, you maybe you rebel against your influence. W- was there anyone in your house who was musically oriented, and did you hear music growing up?
1: We heard a lot of music. Um, my father owned his own electrical and plumbing firm, and so we did a lot around the construction firms, and we heard a lot of country music. And you're probably right. There was probably this was a, in this was in North Alabama where right. I grew up, in Coleman, Alabama, and we listened to a lot of Hank Williams. Uh, It was a lot of what we heard, and uh, a lot of what I would call the um, outlaw country was was big. So that was what I heard growing up a lot. So when I got to this thing called uh, rock, it was a a nice thing.
0: What was your first rock band that had any
1: influence on Oh, goodness. The very first one, um, probably the Beatles. I had some friends that were big Beatles fans, and I go over to their house and visit, and they had the Red album and the Blue album, and we would put it on, and I went, "Wow, that's some pretty cool stuff." This on a is, record player. Oh, oh, on a, this thing called an LP, yeah, right? Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of got me started. So it was it was the standard classic rock bands. It was the Beatles, the Stones, the Who. So.
0: Did you? Uh Play an instrument, or is it forced to play an instrument? Or no, never tried playing. An
1: instrument? Never tried. I would have loved to, but uh, my sister played a little piano. Uh, but in our family, you pretty much when you hit double digits in age, you were you went to work. So there wasn't a lot of time to play musical instruments. Did you work in your
0: father's I did. company? Mm-hmm. So can, could you? We've got a problem with the circuit in this wall. Would you mind doing it for us now? I could probably
1: tear it down, yes. You could. (laughs) Tear it down or tear it up, one or the other. Do you do do your
0: own electrical work around the house or – do you do not have time to...
1: Uh, when I have time, I do most of it, that's yeah. I, I rewired our stereo system a few weeks ago in our internet system. That's so. impressive. Uh, well, it's just yeah. geeky is what my wife said, but that's a whole different...
0: Well, I think it's good for your professors to know that the dean could just, you know, break into the wall and rewire their circuits at any time he wanted to, you know.
1: I'm sure that's what they're thinking, yeah. That's, that's right.
0: <laughs> the first song you listed for us is Fight the Good Fight by Triumph. And you said that this was your senior class high school. This was the theme of the prom?
1: No, this was, um, we were allowed to vote on our uh, class song, and there were actually three finalists for the song. There was uh, Fight the Good Fight by Triumph, there was Stairway to Heaven by Zeppelin, and there was Highway to Hell by ACDC, and everyone thought it would be cute if we had uh, Stairway to Heaven and Highway to Hell as the two songs, and I don't think the the, the advisor to the SGA thought that was a good thing, so uh, Fight the Good Fight became our class song.
0: Do you think it was like election that maybe the principal, you know, tried to, you know, stuff the ballot box to not get highway to hell?
1: I think uh, there was no doubt that there was a stuffing of the ballot. No, I think it was more of a, that would be more of a dictatorship. I don't think there was a vote truly allowed on that one.
0: Now, when you were in high school, did you have a sense of where you wanted to be in your career? I mean were you interested in economic markets and and, and the economy and companies
1: yeah um I, I would read business week and the economist pretty much every week in, wow in high school you
0: you you were seen in high school by other students so you read this while stuffed in the locker or
1: outside <laughs> the locker? <laughs> that, that's pretty appropriate yeah um they would uh, sort of look and give those funny glances and uh but there was always an interest. But actually, at that point, I was looking more at aerospace engineering. I was really torn between electrical engineering, aerospace engineering, because my father was an electrician. I understood circuits and what to do. And my uncle worked for NASA um, in Huntsville at uh, Marshall. And so I had gone up and actually seen some of the prototypes of the space shuttle when they were building Enterprise. Now this is pretty cool. I, I was pretty good programming computers, so I said, I'm going to go down this road. And that's actually where I was starting, but I loved reading The Economist and just keeping up with the economy and, and what was going on in society and the world. So I didn't think I would be a finance guy though in high school.
0: I wonder, did you see a parallel between circuitry and the economy? Because, I mean, when you're an electrician, if you do something the way you've always done it, it should work. And if it doesn't work, there's a problem. There's something's something's wrong. The economy, mergers and acquisitions, it obviously... They're rules of the market, but they're not necessarily so ironclad or else everybody would be rich, right?
1: <laughs> You're right. That's absolutely right.
0: Was it, I guess, the the randomness or disorder that might have, might have attracted you to economic markets as opposed to circuitry as an eventual career?
1: Well, actually, when I started and went through the, started with a pre-engineering sequence, I loved the math classes. I was pretty good with the math. I was doing okay in the courses, but I didn't, I just didn't have a passion for what I was doing. I knew what I was doing, the electrical stuff looked pretty neat. As I started talking to different people, they said, well, you know, you kind of like this business stuff over here and you're really good with math and finance is a way that you can kind of combine those two interests. So I went and visited the business school and talked to them and sat in on a class. And I said, I think I could get into this, and I just found my passion, and I just sort of switched over from engineering to finance.
0: You have a reputation among your faculty and, and in your field as somebody who does put a, a very high premium on integrity and, and ethics, and you've tried to uh, really make sure of that as much as possible as in your, your deanship. Um, you talked about the the next song you listed for us was Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. You first encountered that during the video hits one era, the MTV era of, of we were both growing up, of watching this thing called a music video. Wow, neat. And uh, Man in the Mirror about introspection, about sort of asking, okay, I'm interested in this, I like this, but what am I doing in the bigger picture?
1: That That's absolutely right. I, I remember, I, I guess I was a junior at the University of Alabama at the time, and I was really contemplating a career on Wall Street. I thought it would be really neat to go to Wall Street, make the millions that everybody was making, and that was sort of what was leading my decision. But you always go through that, you're finding yourself while you're in college. And I just remember when that video came on and the clips came on and you saw the the clips of the Klan the in the background and clips of Hitler, and these are the things that we could change as individuals. And it really made me stop and think as the song was playing, is like, well, what do I want to be? Do I want to be mega wealthy, or do I want to change the world and make a better place? And I really decided I wanted to make the world a better place, and I started talking to my faculty members there at Alabama about pursuing a PhD, because to me, knowledge is power. It sort of brought me into that social mobility realm where I was able to advance where I wanted to be because of my education and I thought I could do that for others and this is a song that kind of sparked a little interest in that for me
2: i to make a change for once in my life It's gonna feel real good I'm Gonna make a difference I'm Gonna make it right and As I turn up the collar I'm a My favorite winter coat This wind is in my mind I see the kids in the street but not enough to eat Who am I to be blind pretending not to see them eat I saw disregard disrespect I'm broken
0: anyone in your family in college before you your your father was an electrician did he get a, co- <clears throat> a BA
1: my sister and I were the first two to graduate from college
0: so obviously you were the first to get a, a doctoral degree too yes what, what what did your parents think of a doctoral d- degree I mean did they, see they didn't it, see it as any additional value or like why aren't you working boy
1: <laughs> a little bit of that uh, they're like what is this and what do you want to do and and uh, you know, it, they had never been around a higher education environment, and but they had seen the impact that my education had on me and the, the passion I had for it. And f- for them, they were always supportive of everything I did. So there was nothing but support on their part for it. It's like, if this is what you want, you're going to make the world a better place. Go for it.
0: You mentioned uh, making the world a better place <clears throat> in your next song, Don Henley, End of Innocence. We've gone through an era where there's been an almost complete collapse of trust in... Uh, I, I, Wall Street is a sort of g- general term, but and in, in people just aren't sure about markets. They aren't sure about the future. We're looking at possibly our children being the first generation that doesn't do as well and doesn't do better than their parents. We've had a stock market run that's been pretty good the last four or five years, uh, but we have no idea what the future is. Most kids nowadays have grown up without inflation. I I, I remember walking into a bank in 1979 and seeing a sign saying CD rates 21%. Mm -hmm. And our whole economy is based on the idea that we'll never have inflation again. (laughs) <laughs> People are saving money, you know, with the idea that whatever their million dollars will actually be worth a million dollars, you know, when they retire. Are we on a very delicate balance right now? I mean, can we veer off and and really go go into an even deeper recession of some kind? We maybe we even, haven't even imagined yet.
1: Well, there are always events that you don't account for that could drive you to that. I mean, you had uh, if you go back to the Great Recession back in '08, you just had such a confluence of factors that it, that it was the perfect storm to happen. But there were a lot of voices out there, and I think this is part of the problem. Um, In a lot of the attack that comes on business and Wall Street, a lot of people were saying that we had overvalued assets, that there was a a bubble in the markets. I had taken out most of my, my investments out of equity long before because the valuations didn't make sense. But the people who were saying that were called naysayers and, you know, you're just a pessimist and, you know, it's all good and we should keep going. And that really wasn't the case. I think if more people had listened to those that were, that were people of, of, of integrity that were trying to say, guys, we're going too far too fast, um, housing prices, this is not sustainable where we're going with housing and not everybody can own a home. And the whole ownership society concept kind of took us to a point where it it wasn't sustainable, and now we've come back down to a point where we've we've hit sustainability. But the trust and integrity in markets, it it does concern me because if you don't have that trust in the markets, then capitalism doesn't work. And that's been the driver of our economy for 200 plus years. So I think we have to really work hard to reestablish that integrity and make sure everybody understands. And to get to that point where you don't have to be Pollyanna in everything that you say to be respected. But when the days were long and rolled beneath the deep blue sky
2: Didn't have a care in the world Mommy and daddy standing by But happily ever after fails And we've been poisoned by these fairy tales Lawyers dwell on small details since daddy had
0: How is it possible to instill trust? I mean, to me, to have trust in an institution, you have to have... It takes decades to build trust (laughs) Mm -hmm. and a few moments to lose trust. You know, I mean, you you can be friends with somebody for years and then they do something terrible and betray you. And, like, it's not easy to, like, go back to where you you were before. Uh, For the average person, you know, sitting and looking at their 401k or, or some other account that they've had, how would we rebuild trust besides just the market does well for a while and then there's another
1: problem. Well, if you have a good financial advisor, then they understand the importance of asset allocation so that you're diversifying your risk across different asset classes. You're not all in stocks. You're not all in bonds. So you've got a mix that diversifies so that you know, if one market goes down that you're not tagged all around. So the good advisors should have had their, um, their clients uh, diversified in that way. They should have established that trust that um, the clients could, could feel comfortable with them still. The markets in general, um, you know, a lot of advisors are not stock market analysts. I mean, that's I guess that's the difference between being the advisor and the analyst. Like you talked about before, the analysts like us look more at where the markets are and are they valued correctly financial advisors are just trying to tell people this is where we need to to put your nest egg to plan for the kids education to plan for uh, your home for your retirement and things like that so they just need to be more careful about where they're they're allocating assets I hope that the trust in the financial advisors hasn't been lost there you know and, and for the other I would just say that a lot of the media coverage that I saw as we were going through again people who were saying We, our markets don't make sense. This is not where we were. We're being shouted down by the ones who were saying, no, it's go, go, go. And I would hope that we as educators in, in business would say, you know, you need to be a skeptic. It's okay to be skeptical. You don't have to believe everything everyone says. Be a critical thinker and analyze it for yourself and trust in yourself and your own ability.
0: Your next song is Tick Tock by the Vaughn brothers. And, and, and you talked about how that this, the song, and I want to read a little bit of the lyrics here, because this is not, an, not a usual love song here. The, the sick and the hungry had smiles on their faces. The tired and the homeless had family all around. Streets in the cities were all beautiful places and the walls came tumbling down. This is a, a song about the civil rights movement
1: really is yeah and um, I'd always been a huge Stevie Ray fan and of course this album came out with his brother this was their only duo effort after he died in the helicopter crash and I just heard Martin Luther King coming through the lyrics of this song and with a Texas blues accent and it was just fantastic and it just really resonated with me and I always hated that there wasn't more commercial success for that album uh, because it just had so much good stuff in there but that song I remember my sister and I were living together in Birmingham when I was in uh, the consulting world, and she called me, and she had heard it on the radio, and she knew I was a Stevie Ray fan, and she's like, have you heard this song? And I said, no, I haven't. I made sure I tuned into it and checked it out, and I just fell in love with the song. I still listened. I looked the other day, it's still on my top 25 playlist. One
2: night while sleeping in
1: my bed, I had a beautiful dream that all the people of the world got together on the same wavelength and began helping. Now, in this
2: dream, universal love was the thing of the day. Peace and understanding, and it happened this way. The sick and the hungry had smiles on their faces. The tired and the homeless had family all around. The streets and the cities were all beautiful places. The walls came tumbling down of the world All had together Had it together For the boys And the girls And the children of the world Looking forward to a future Remember Tick tock Tick tock Tick tock people Time's ticking away Remember that
0: I think that there seems to be a theme here and you're putting, uh, uh, Lance, that you really believe that you have to speak truth to power,
1: or you have to call, them, call it like you see them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you have, I believe in the power of the individual, and then individuals collaborate together to make the world a better place. But if you just go in with group thinking, if you follow everybody else, then you're not going to have an impact on society in a positive way. So. And you're probably not going to do well as an individual, too, right? I wouldn't right. think so, no. <laughs>
0: well, this is, I, I saw a fascinating study the other day that uh, when somebody in a workplace is diagnosed with cancer, um, other people in the same workplace are less likely than before to go get tested. So, for breast cancer, for example, the women in the office are less likely to go test for breast cancer. That they're, and it's all part of the fundamental human avoidance mechanism. We don't like bad news, and we don't like the bearer of bad news, and we don't like the possibility of bad news. So, we will do everything possible to avoid, you know, data that doesn't fit what we want the world to be. Now, the problem is, of course, reality has a way of coming up and slamming us on the back of the head. Um, it, 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 is is that a principle that works in markets, too? Because you're basically saying, I mean, the herd is the herd, right? Absolutely. And the herd never corrects at the right time. It wasn't like suddenly in two thousand, late 2007, a lot of investors said, hmm, I think I better get out of the market. What was it Joseph Kennedy uh, famously got out of the stock market before the big crash because he was, in. He at least he told the story that he was in an elevator. And the, uh, at that time, they had elevator operators in, in uniforms, you mm-hmm. know, and the elevator operator talked about his stock market investments and started giving Joseph Kennedy, the rich financier, advice. And Kennedy said, the moment you have, you know, elevator operators thinking they're going to be rich on Wall Street, I'm getting out of the market.
1: That's, that's pretty appropriate. I mean, there's a, an area of finance that's really gained um, a lot of traction called investor psychology, uh, behavioral finance and it actually addresses a lot of this that investors are more concerned about their losses, they have more pain with the losses on investments than they feel joy in the gains from investments. And it drives a lot of their investment decisions and they're actually we're getting into a lot of gender studies within uh, investments that's been very interesting. Women tend to be more stable uh, investors because they, they aren't going for the big gains, so they don't have the big losses on the other side, whereas men tend to uh, invest more volatilely. So uh, it's been really interesting to see that breakdown and how psychology drives a lot of the investment decisions. You, you know, We always talk about rational markets and rational agents and rational players, and you realize that there are probably the vast majority of the investors, at least the individual investors, aren't rational when they're investing. And uh, there's a strategy called contrarian investing, which is where you go against the, the herd mentality. And generally the contrarian strategies tend to win in the long run. So
0: Well, I guess the same principle is why you know, Las Vegas is still successful as a, as a city is, is the, the casinos love systems. You know they love pe- people. and obviously people win and they don't walk away. You know from the old uh, song you know know when to walk away. most people don't walk away. They keep playing wanting to get that high. And, of course, the high is more, ever more elusive because, I mean, the, whatever, you know, chemicals are released, it, it actually is almost like an addiction. You, you can't get the it same is. high without bigger losses or bigger gains and, and don't mean as much. Absolutely. Your next song is Let It Be by The Beatles. And another song that, that I guess uh, over the years, and it's funny, we've had some other guests list that has been variously interpreted about what exactly it, it means. You know, is it a song... Uh, about saying there's something wrong with the present world situation or a song saying well you know you have to have some level of acceptance about the things that you can't change you talked about how you believe people can make a difference and, and people make change I think at some point we all, well, in our lives we all realize that we're probably not going to have unlimited impact and unlimited change that we may have to be sort of selective in what kind of change that we have as teachers you know we sort of say gee if we can just affect our students that's certainly a victory in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and with me, I mean, my interpretation was, and again, this was probably one of the very first Beatles songs I ever heard uh, off off the, um, I guess that was the Blue album. As See, I'm remembering it's the White album from the cover. Oh, well, the blue, and the, the blue and the red were their greatest hits that came oh, out. Oh, okay. So yeah. I think the blue, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, the red was the early hits and the blue was the later Volume. hits. But as I listen to it, I, I, I get a sense of spirituality about it, and so it's speaking words of wisdom. So, to me, it's I've got loved ones who have, have gone on and are up above, but they're still giving me words of wisdom from up above. And that's kind of what I take from the song. And the other thing I always liked is I, I live for music. I mean, you never come to my office when there's not music playing, and the people in our in the I've deep, seen
0: the <laughs> the complaints filed against you by faculty. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I would believe that,
1: yeah. uh, especially when I'm in a Zeppelin mode. But uh, anyway, I, I just for me, I work better, I think better, and I feel better when music is playing, and that's. Um That's sort of what the lyrics in the song are saying, too, and that, that just always resonated with me.
2: When I find myself in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be
0: Verse of Let It Be, I guess, lyrically and uh, in terms of, I guess, choice of notes is uh, probably w- what would be on my list, uh, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. And, and boy, I remember hearing this song for the first time, and I thought it was the most subversive song conceivable because it had an idea I just never considered before, which was that the devil was all of us, you know, and he was just giving us what we wanted. You know, it wasn't like he was plotting to deceive us or something. He just said, sure, you want this, you got it. You know, I I just, I'm the provider. When did you first hear this song?
1: Uh, Gosh, I was probably a freshman in college. uh, So I'd listened to a lot of the Stones, but I'd never really listened to uh, so much of that. And I remember I really went into a, um, a Stones Phase when uh, the Big Chill came out. That's a movie. The yeah. movie, the yeah. Big our, Chill. Our younger listeners. Yeah, going. that's this, right. This was a movie. A movie that uh, that on was film. <laughs> you could movie. actually get on VHS back then. Uh, on, uh, but anyway, uh, you can't always get what you want. That kind of got me into that phase, and then I started listening to more and more of the Stones. And then when I listened to Sympathy for the Devil, I had sort of the same reaction you did. I went, started listening to the lyrics. And it was basically like all these evil things have happened, all these malevolent people that have been around, and you realize how much they were enabled by other individuals that we wouldn't think of as being evil. So it's not the devil, it's individuals who, either through acts of commission or omission, enabled it. And I, I just, when you listen to the lyrics and the things that they talk about, and it basically says, when after all it was you and me, we're the devil, because we, we were implicit in these acts, or uh, complicit. So, yeah, I, I, I would tell you, and, and I just, I guess this is my, my message to the youth, there's a lot of history lesson in that song, and a lot of that history is being played out today around the globe, and I would just encourage everybody to listen to the lyrics of that song and see what's going on in the world today.
3: Please allow me to introduce myself, I'm a man Well and taste I've been around for a long, long year Stole many a man's soul and faith I was around when Jesus Christ Had his moment of doubt and pain Me, damn sure the pilot Washed his hands and sealed his face Time for change Killed the Tsar And his ministers Anastasia Screamed in vain I rode a tank Held a generous rank When the blitzkrieg raged And the body It's the nature of my game. Ah oh, yeah. I watch with glee while your kings and queens fought for ten decades for the gods they made. I shouted out, who killed the Kennedys? When after all, it was you and me. Let me please introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and.
0: I'm thinking exactly what you're saying, you know, I, I get iTunes radio, you know, and I say, here's my favorite song, and it constructs my own personal radio station of songs exactly like it. So I'm thinking most people would not say... Give me songs which challenge my fundamental beliefs and force me to think <laughs> hard and, and be introspective about myself. Human beings are naturally resistant to that. And the role of college, I still believe, is that college should be, unfortunately, the first, but, uh, and also, unfortunately, the last place. It often is where somebody comes up and says, you know, what you believe, some other people believe something completely different, and here's the evidence they have. Now, what's your evidence? You know, back it up. Absolutely.
1: One of the best things that ever happened to me was, uh, and it was actually my faculty mentor at Alabama, was an economist. And of course, when you grow up in rural Alabama, you hate communists. That's what you're supposed to do. And so I was railing on one day talking to him and he said, okay, so why do you hate communists? Tell me why you hate communists. And he made me think about it, he made me form an argument. And in the end, I came up with a rational answer for why I favored capitalism, but he made me think about it. And it wasn't emotion that drove it, it was facts. And that, that's what made me, I mean, that's what turned me into a scholar.
0: And the ability to, again, we're not, I mean, to me, the ideal professor is not somebody who gets up there and says, okay, students, believe this, this is what the truth is, write it down. And that, that to me, is not a professor, that's not no, a scholar. That's a dogmatic person. Yeah. 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 Uh, they should be on the street with a sign, you know. But somebody saying what exactly what your professor said is that let's look at this claim and try to find evidence to support it and evidence against it. And then you you make your decision, but don't make a decision until you've done a full investigation, whether hey, it's man. your financial future or who you vote for. Or. Your next song is The Eagles singing after the thrill is gone. This is not like after your first year of being Dean, right? Just
1: that, <laughs> yeah, I was singing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd always, I grew up with the Eagles sort of when I discovered rock and roll, that was the band. That was the song that really stuck with me. And it was basically, if you don't have passion for what you're doing, if you don't have passion in love and passion for what you're doing in life, then why are you doing it? And I was sort of in that funk, I guess, when I was in the world of consulting. And I always knew I wanted to be the college professors when I got to college. and But I knew I needed to go out and work. And basically, I got into a mode of it was very rote. I mean, it was 12 to 15 hour days, not a lot of weekends, but the job was, I had it down to a science, but I just didn't love what I was doing. And so, but I was making good money and it was hard to pass that up, but I knew that I just didn't have a passion for it, so I go into my office and I put this song on. And after a while, I said, "I'm just going to do it." And um, so I just went on and applied for my doctoral programs and found my passion, and I've lived with it ever since. And so it's, it's been a thrill every day being a professor. Yeah, and
0: it's a lesson for students too that you know what you love is easier to do.
1: <laughs> oh, without a than what you don't love. Absolutely. I mean when. When you wake up in the morning and you're having to drag yourself out of bed to go to work, you're not in the right job. And that's, I never find myself in that role.
2: Same dancers in same old shoes, some habits that you just.
0: Now we're taking another turn. Your next song, Garth Brooks, the famous Garth Brooks, Friends in Low Places. Now, this is not at all about Texas Tech in any way, right? It's just random (laughs)
1: songs, Only Only Dean. No, actually, and I'm not a huge country music fan, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier, a little bit of rebellion against what I grew up with. But this was my mother's don't get too big for your britches kind of uh, song. And so I remember the first year I had come back from the University of Georgia, where I was in my doctoral studies. And. I was going on and on about my research and what I was going to do and all this stuff. And my mother had never gone to college, much less getting a doctoral degree. And I guess she could see I was excited about what I was doing, but her eyes were glazing over and rolling back in their head. And this song was playing on the stereo, and uh, we were sitting there, and then the the verse comes on about the ivory tower. And... Uh, She just looks at me, and she says, just remember, you got a lot of family and friends in low places, so when you get to that uh, ivory tower of yours, you don't forget about us. And um, we have a saying where I grew up in Alabama, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So I said, yes, ma'am, and I never forgot it.
4: Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affair. The last one to know. The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne And I toasted you said, honey, we may be through, But you'll never hear me complain Cause I got friends Chases my blues away And I'll be okay yeah, I'm not big on social graces Think I'll slip on down to the oasis So I've got a friend in love they say I was wrong, I just don't belong. But then I've been there before. Everything's all right, I'll just say goodnight and I'll show myself to the door. Hey, I didn't mean to cause a big scene, just give me an hour and then. I'll be as high as that, I've reached. Tower that you're living now. Cause I got friends in all places where the whiskey drowns and the beer takes my blues away. And I'll be okay. Yeah, I'm not big on social graces. Think i slip on.
0: Now, you did grow up in Alabama. Is Alabama a state of mind as well as... I mean, were there certain values that you carry with you, I mean, that you learned? And I guess this respect for working people is, is part of what you come through. Maybe, a, you know, an honest day's labor, mm-hmm. you know, for your... your I mean, you, you think about it. Your father was installing electrical if he did a poor job somebody's house burned down they died you know it was a pretty responsible thing i'm sure he installed that you as well that you know what we're doing is important right
1: oh yeah well i'll tell you that was what i loved about texas tech and lubbock when i came out here to visit um there was so much of the values i grew up with in alabama that are in west texas i mean it's it's honesty integrity hard work and respect for others. There were other places I had been where that didn't exist. And so I think it's a state of mind from where I grew up, but I think it's a state of mind that exists here too. And I think that's why we found such a good fit in Lubbock.
0: Now you could describe yourself as a parrot head, Jimmy
1: Buffett. Absolutely. Uh, you know, not. You found that lost seeker, show I did, and uh, you know, you don't cut your heel on a, a pop top anymore. Uh, again, the younger audience won't understand <laughs> that. Now, I don't think you grew up in out. Many people grew up in Alabama, and they're not parrot heads. It is part of what you do. I mean, Buffett is one of those. It's your fantasy world. I mean, you put on Buffett, and you live in your fantasy life, and you're in the hammock by the beach, and you're listening to steel drums. This is
0: North Alabama. This was right? North so there Alabama. There wasn't actually a lot of uh, seacoast. Uh,
1: not a whole lot, but Uh, But you were close enough, Mm -hmm. Uh, and my wife grew up in South Alabama, and she was about an hour from the Florida Gulf Coast, so she was a real uh, parrot head. But when we got together for the first time, we started talking about our musical interest and we easily agreed on Buffett. And so we had always been big parrot heads and we had listened to his music all the time and had many, many Margaritaville moments with with him in the background. And so our boys grew up listening to it. I think what what really I love about Buffett is how it's kind of pulled our family together because we grew up listening to Buffett. I was at the University of Southern Mississippi before I came here and that is Jimmy's alma mater. We also had a Gulf Coast campus, so we were right there on the beach. It was the business college?
0: This, it, it, he endowed the business college?
1: Right? Yeah, well, we, we were working on that. Yeah. He was not a business graduate, I, I would say. And that's the reason why it's a fantasy world with his songs, because he is definitely living out the life of the wealthy entrepreneur. But, as you know, he, he took on legendary status down there, so everybody listened to Buffett. And his sister Lucy and I had become friends she owned a restaurant on the Gulf Coast in Alabama and after the BP oil spill in 2010 Jimmy decided to have a benefit concert for the local coast area and and to bring tourism back because the oil spill had driven away everything and Lucy called me up and said I got four tickets for your family and this was a concert on the beach at Gulf Shores with 35,000 people and a lot of people may have seen it. it was on CMT they broadcast it live it's still on there and we got together as a family and we knew all the songs and one of my boy's favorite songs was Pascagoula Run because of Pascagoula, Mississippi and everybody was, uh, knew that song and he opens up with that and my family sitting on blankets on the beach in Gulf Shores singing that song together. And so it was just a real special memory for me.
0: Your sons, you,
1: two, you have two sons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. They,
0: they actually are interested in the same music you are. It's a, a triumphant parenting there.
1: There is not a whole lot of overlap in that Venn diagram. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the reason why uh, this, th- this song is special, because this is one of the few songs that we will listen to together.
2: Moonlight and magnolias Starlight in your hair All the world a dream come true Did it really happen? Was I really there? Was I really there with you? We lived our little drama We kissed in a field of white And stars fell on Alabama that night I can't forget the glamour Your eyes held a tender light Fell on Alabama Last night I never planned In my imagination A situation So heavily A fairy land That no one else could enter Santa, just you and me. Dear, my heart beat like a hammer. My arms went down Utah. And stars fell on
4: Alabama last night. Let's take it on down from Muscle Shoals through Decatur.
2: Hmm, Birmingham. Ooh, Montgomery.
4: Right up over Spanish Fort into Mobile, my hometown. Mr. T.
0: Now, your final song is the very famous as the theme to uh, a show that really marks our generation, I guess, you know, uh, the Friends, mm-hmm. you know, probably. Along with Seinfeld, one of the last sort of uh, water cooler shows that was everybody was watching, you know, mm-hmm. or was, was extremely popular, at least with people who were in their 20s and 30s uh, um, at that time. I'll Be There For You, the Friends theme by the Rembrandts.
1: Yeah, you know, and again, this is, I guess, another family thing, and my favorite memories are with family. And when Ruthie and I were first together, we watched, uh, after we were married, Friends was sort of one of our shows, and we watched it together. And then when I became a professor, I taught in the evenings in the professional MBA program. And it was on Tuesday nights, So I didn't see friends for a while, except when I taped it on this thing called a VCR for the young listeners. So this was before the days of TiVo. But... um, Then when the boys came along, though, there was no time to to record these shows, so I didn't watch the last four or five seasons of of the show, but Ruthie would stay up with my oldest, and they would watch Friends together, and so they kind of had that bond around there, and then as my younger son got older, he would watch it in syndication, and they would all sit around and laugh at the episodes, the ones that were appropriate for them to watch. There were some that weren't appropriate for their age. About Three four years ago, for Christmas, I bought the complete uh, collector set of all ten seasons on DVD, and we just sat down between Christmas Day that year and spring break, and almost every night we watched one or two episodes of Friends, and we just we went through the whole sequence. We laughed, we had fun, and we actually had it when we would play this song, and after the first verse, they clapped their hands in the song. Well, our dog got so trained to us clapping the hands that he would sit there. As soon as he heard the music start, he'd start looking around. As soon as we clapped our hands, he'd jump in one of our laps and watch the show with us.
0: That's the essential difference between dogs and cats. When I play Sympathy for the Devil, my cats just look at me. Very strangely. And yeah. devilishly, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> good. your dogs and your, your children are, are well uh, behaved and trained, right? So, That's right. Uh, well, Lance, Dean, Nail, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being on TOPS 10 and thank you for your hard work for the students of Texas Tech.
1: This was a blast. Thank you so much. So no one told you
2: that was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you broke. Even your ear, but I-